0: God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ while we were dead in our sins Mm and trespasses. Um, Those who are in Christ know and are happy to say, God made me alive, but not because there was something in me that singled me out over and against everybody else who's still dead in their sins. It, It was just his mercy and his grace and not at all my contribution of anything at all.
1: hello everybody welcome to another episode of Make and multiply my name is Matt groon a pastor at Emmaus Road church thank you that and congratulations <laughs> thanks buddy uh, it it's 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 different I guess I mean not that different but
0: <laughs> it's different <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a big deal yeah thank, well and I'm joined by my dear friend Ryan Chase another pastor and elder at Emmaus Road church and uh, we are going to continue uh part two of are diving into the statement of faith in the category of God's sovereign purposes focusing specifically on this week in God's grace in election. So last week we looked at uh how God ordains all things for the purpose of his glory and that includes and by all things we mean all, all things all things, even hard things, even and talked tried to talk about how that all uh can mesh together and then this week we're going to go over the second heading under that uh under that main heading God's grace in election. And even reading that title mm. um, elicits some thoughts. God's grace. Mm-hmm. Do we see the doctrine of election election, as a, a doctrine of grace, yeah. of, of a gift from God to us? Mm. Um, that, that's a good starting point that, that we'll Absolutely. dive in. So uh, I will read it in its entirety and then we'll, we'll, he- we'll head in. So God's grace in election. God, in his great love, before the foundation of the world, chose those whom he would save in Christ Jesus. God's election is entirely gracious and not at all conditioned upon foreseen faith, obedience, perseverance, or any merit in those whom God has chosen. His decision to set his saving love on the elect is based entirely on his sovereign will and good pleasure. The number of God's elect is fixed for eternity and no one who has been chosen by God will be lost. In the mystery of his will, God passes over the non-elect, withholding his mercy and punishing them for his sins as a display of his holy justice and wrath. As God has appointed the elect to glory, so he has foreordained all the means necessary to carry out his saving purposes. Those whom he has predestined are redeemed by Christ, effectually called to faith by His Spirit, justified, adopted, and sanctified, and kept by God's power to the end. God does all this in order to demonstrate His mercy to the praise of His glorious grace. Although attended with mystery, the doctrine of election should not produce speculation, introspection, apathy, or pride, but rather humility, gratitude, assurance, Evangelistic passion and eternal praise for the undeserved grace of God in Christ. Amen. I don't know if you could say it better. (laughs) Is is there anything more to say? I don't. Maybe, but (laughs) I Mm. think that is just such a helpful statement. Statement of what we believe. That's right. So, Ryan, help us out. Mm. What is this whole paragraph talking about? Maybe take it in sections. Let's start with that. Maybe that first paragraph about. That that first line, God in his great love, hmm. when before the foundation of the earth, mm-hmm.
0: what did he do? Chose those whom he would save in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's talking about God's action again. God saves sinners. I think that's a helpful summary to just distill all of this as simply as possible. That's how J.I. Packer breaks this down that we're talking about God's saving work. We're talking about God choosing to save sinners who don't and could never earn or deserve that salvation that God chooses to do that freely, that he chooses it based on his own mercy and grace and his own good purposes and not at all because of something in us that deserves that Mm. or uh, gets his attention uh, that he does it. He makes that choice before the foundation of the world and not in response to something, that we do, that would make our salvation contingent on us. So Packer sums that up and says, really, all we're saying is in in three words, God saves sinners. Yes. God saves sinners. That's what we mean. Um, Sinners can't save themselves. God has to do the saving. Um, And in doing that saving, God does it completely. He does everything. It's not just that he kind of opens a door and makes it possible and then says you know if you want to get yourself through the doorway then mm. then you're in um you know i'll, I'll get you 90 percent of the way there and you got to do the last 10 um because we are dead in our sin th- there's nothing that we we could do you know it's it, You you can't just say to a dead person lying on the floor, hey, if you can just get yourself over here, we've got a great team of doctors who can help you out. You just got to get yourself up here on the operating table first.
1: Or if there was just some like magic potion that would bring him back to life and you just lay it right next to
0: him. Yep, hey. It's right there. I'm doing as much as I can. You got to just, you got to take it from here. Um, uh, Being dead in our sins and completely helpless, unless God saved us and did it all in saving us, saved us completely, um, we would... Never be saved. Right. So it, it is a display of his grace because God saves sinners, people who um, are not only undeserving, but as others have said, ill-deserving. We, mm. we actually deserve his wrath and not this kind of grace. So that's, it is a great mercy for yes, God.
1: That's a critical point because
0: that often I think in this discussion, we say
1: we, we, we frame ourselves or frame humans as these helpless Lost, We are drowning in the ocean. Why can't God just come and sweep us all up? Doesn't he have the power? Mm -hmm. Doesn't he have the will to just do all that? That downplays the reality of what sin actually is, which is rebellion against God. It's not that we're all floating in the ocean, just dying, drowning helplessly, begging for somebody to save us. Or I remember John Piper said it. We're not trapped in some dungeon, Mm. just chained to the wall, just screaming for somebody. to get out. Exactly. No, we are... As Romans one describes it, and elsewhere, we are hostile. We are mm. suppressing the truth. Yeah. That 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 verb there used of suppressing suppressing the truth in our unrighteousness is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Yeah. It wants to come out. It yeah. wants to pop. And You got to
0: work really hard to try to push it down.
1: You're fighting against it. So if we're using the imagery of you know God's in a boat like after the titanic searching for survivors mm. no people are actively swimming away from him yeah
0: uh, spitting in his face don't cursed, come near swearing me swearing at him that's right that that yeah.
1: is a helpful we got to remember that's the nature of that's that's our natural disposition yeah unless god does that unless god mercifully acts to bring us back to life mm. we are by nature children of wrath yeah um, because of our sin that we're culpable for so mm-hmm. that that i think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind is this is not a why doesn't god save everybody doesn't he have the means to can't he just sweep us all up and because and if he doesn't save somebody god's unjust
0: right he's being unkind right um he's not being fair to right. people right yeah fairness or justice as it becomes a that's a concern that often comes up in talking about god's grace in election is god fair is god just and justice would be for God to give us all exactly what we do deserve, which would be to leave us all in our sin. And so that's the incredible glory scandal of the gospel that yeah. God has made a way for those who deserve his wrath forever mm. to be reconciled to himself. So yeah, it's not just in that sense, um, but that justice would be getting what we deserve. Yeah. I, that the, often is this use this
1: phrase, this, unconditional love of mm. God I think often how that's used is God loves me no matter what yeah. no matter what I do God will always love me and that's kind of more of a modern thinking of what we mean by the unconditional love mm. of God well I think this is talking about the actual unconditional love of mm. God which is no condition uncon- there is no condition yeah. that I met right that would cause God to say oh I'll choose him yeah um, because that, that's what it, he's saying when it says God's election is entirely gracious and not at all conditioned yeah. upon things like foreseen faith, mm-hmm. obedience, perseverance, and the rest. It, I, I did not do anything to earn or right. merit. I did not meet any precondition, right. some, some checklist. And, and we see that of God's election of, of Israel. In Deuteronomy 7, uh, Moses says, Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Why? How did that happen? It was not because you were more in number. You were not more numerous than the other people. The Lord set his love on you. For in fact, you are the fewest of people. Mm. But it's simply because God loves you. Yeah. Why did God love Israel? God's answer is because he loved them.
0: Yeah. In a simple thought experiment that... Helps make this personal. If, if you just think about yourself, if if you trust in Jesus, and you ask, why is it mm. that you believe in Jesus? How is it that you came to believe that the gospel's true and and put your faith in Christ Jesus? And, and you know, for the thought experiment, compare yourself to somebody else. Maybe a, a sibling grew up mm. in the same home who doesn't believe, or a a friend who grew up in the same church and today doesn't believe. Or you know, would you say? Well, I believe and that person doesn't because I am, you know, fill in the blank, more moral, more spiritually aware, more spiritually sensitive, more, more intelligent, intelligent yeah. more what? And, and any Christian is going to say, well, no, I'm not going to point to any condition in me as though I believe and somebody else doesn't because I'm something better than they are. It, it The sheer grace of God, we would say, I did not deserve this at all. And yet God saved me. So Ephesians two is an incredible outline of you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then Paul gets to, but God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ while we were dead in our sins Mm and trespasses. Um, Those who are in Christ know and are happy to say, God made me alive, but not because there was something in me that singled me out over and against everybody else who's still dead in their sins. Right. It, it was just his mercy and his grace and not at all my contribution yeah. of anything at all. Which is actually a great comfort. It is. Because
1: if it is, if my salvation is contingent on some condition that I met, well, what happens when that contingency or that condition goes away? Right. <laughs> then what? Um, all of a sudden, my salvation, my assurance <laughs> for lack of a better word is thrown in the air because now salvation is not by grace so that no man, not by works so that no man can boast. But now, well, you did some work you accepted or you, 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 you woke up and grabbed right. the, the, the potion um, or you, you decided um, no matter how small that percentage is of my contribution, mm-hmm. it's still my contribution. That's now tainted with all of my sin and all right. of my me. Yep. Um, and that's just not how the Bible ever displays God, because that and that way, if if that's true, that I contributed to my salvation, I get some of the glory. Yeah, I deserve some of that glory. Yep. Um, no, God and God alone deserves all the glory for our salvation. So it's not only a great hope, but it, it really is. I mean, it is a great hope yeah. for us in our assurance in our
0: moving source forward. of security. Absolutely. You and I taught. Uh high school Bible and Mm -hmm. uh, you still do, but uh, I know when I was teaching over there, oftentimes I would have students say things like, well, I don't believe in predestination. And I I would try to gently graciously point out that's actually not an option if you believe the Bible, (laughs) because this is actually a word in scripture. Um, Ephesians one uses this language that God before the foundation of the world predestined us in Christ. Um, Acts 4, which we yeah. talked about in the last episode, God, God's plan, what God had predestined to take place. Romans so if you're 8, a yep. Christian, yeah, Romans 8 uses that word, th- then you have to come to terms with, well, what does that mean? And that's why our statement of faith clarifies God's election is entirely gracious and not at all conditioned upon foreseen faith. Because... What some people would say is well, what predestined or foreknown means is that um, God kind of looked down through the corridor of time and he saw that in the future, I would choose him. And so he chose me. So then God's choice of me and everybody else who's elected or chosen. That, that's another word you don't have an, the option really of saying, I don't believe in election. I don't believe right. that God chose. Since scripture uses that word, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. Ephesians 1. So so God chooses. That's what all election means. Um, but some people feel more comfortable saying, well, sure, God chose. But what happened is he, he saw that I was going to choose him. And, and therefore he chose me, but then that—that's the conditional the condition, kind of he—he yep. he sees something in me where I was going to be moving toward him first, mm-hmm. which is exactly the opposite of how First John four talks about this. Romans five: God loved us while we were yet sinning. Yep. Uh, this is love. First John four says, "Not that we loved God, but that He loved us." That's right. And sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So when God loved us was while we hated Him, before we were moving toward Him, before we did anything to. Get his attention or or earn that, and so I think that's an important distinction that we do not believe God's choice is based on Him foreseeing some good quality in us. It's right. entirely based on His grace, which is why we would contend this just magnifies the mm-hmm. glory of God's grace. I think we
1: have to deal with the key elephant in the room. <laughs> the, the the one of the sentences here in the mystery of His will, God passes over the non-elect withholding his mercy and punishing them for their sins as a display of his holy justice and wrath so that in the traditional theological language that is the doctrine of reprobation or rather than the election the doctrine of election the opposite is instead of God choosing to save this is him choosing not to save Um, and I think how is often read and I appreciate the way that this is how it's often read by the doctrine of reprobation god is actively suppressing people from choosing him. right um rather this highlights that nature the sin nature god just leaves people in mm-hmm. their sin mm-hmm. th- sin that they are culpable for yeah. uh, in their rebellion and and so it's one thing to say oh man how does that work how, how is that how is that just mm-hmm. how is that good um i think we just reckon with the reality of like why did God choose any? Right. Because if that's the natural state of us, that we hate God, we despise him, we mm-hmm. run from him, we do what Jeremiah 2 says of turn away from this fountain of living water and hew out cisterns that can hold no water. That's insane. But what's even more insane is that God would choose to save
0: any. right? Um, and so there's just some yep. calculus uh, I, there. I think in dealing with those questions, and it's okay to wrestle with those things, uh, it, it's necessary to reframe a lot of that. So that's that's a really helpful way to reframe it mm-hmm. rather than getting hung up on how could it be that God passes over and leaves some people unsaved, rather marveling at the fact that God saves anyone. And, and I would just point out along those lines, um, all Orthodox Christians believe that God does not save everyone. Yes. Otherwise, you would be a, a universalist. Universalism is the heresy that Everybody's everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. Yeah. Um, Nobody's responsible for their actions. Yeah, nobody, exactly. At and end of so, time doesn't matter yeah. whether or not you repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus doesn't matter. Everybody's going to heaven in the end. So all Orthodox Christians agree. In the end, there will be some people who are not saved. So we have to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, we are affirming people are responsible for their sin and acknowledging the fact that. God does not save everyone. He does pass over the non-elect. But I think the way that you pointed this out is also crucial to highlight um, because oftentimes the picture we get in our minds is a bunch of desperate people at the gates, pounding on the door, pleading, let us in. We just want to come in. And God, you know, checking his list and being like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, your name is not on here. You're not for known, you, you're not elected, mm. predestined from before all time, so you can't come in. When that is not at all the picture, people are not banging down the door trying to get in, they are, you know, banging on the door. If, if they're banging on it at all, it's, you know, uh, <laughs> as enemies right. who are angry right. at God, rebelling against him, but it's more like you know, people are running actively from him, actively hating him.
1: And the problem, not the problem, but the, the reality of this discussion is we're talking about real people, yeah. you know, we're talking about real. Is it's one thing is in these the- theological categories, but like there are real people who don't know yeah. Christ, um, and those might be close friends. Those could be family members that mm-hmm. have turned away or, or or reject Christ, and so we don't want to downplay in this right. discussion that the reality of real people really in rebellion against God. And this discussion also, as we'll get to in a minute, doesn't downplay our 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 the necessary. Um, gospel call that must go out right um, I think often in this discussion I've had with with high school students in particular is what we're talking about here is a discussion from what could be called the decretic will of God a mm. discussion of like if we were to sit in the chair of God he he is from his sovereignty seen all this yeah. he is the one who is making the decisions about of of, of saving it. exactly yeah And we desperately want to be in that chair and to know who's who, am I, where do I fall? Um, And that's, while it's true that God is in that chair, we are not. We are not viewing all of this from that perspective. So it's crucial to know that it is that way, that God is in that chair and Mm -hmm. it is happening, but we are not in the position to know that. So ours is really just to sow
0: seeds and let God give the growth. Yeah. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine is so helpful. The secret things belong to God, yeah. but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children so mm-hmm. that we may walk in his ways. So there are secret things God has not revealed. All that we have in scripture is this revelation that God does choose us yeah. graciously, that he does so based on his own love and grace and goodness and not at all based on our merit or any condition we meet. But those secret things of Um, who's in or who's out is not revealed to us, which is why, uh, you know, that last sentence here talks about this doctrine of election should not produce speculation or introspection or apathy or pride, which is oftentimes where people's minds go, kind Mm -hmm. of a fearful, well, what if I'm not elect? What if I'm not chosen? And, And that worry, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and says, "We know, brothers loved of God, that He chose you because the gospel came to you not in word only, but in power and full conviction." So Paul is able to confidently say, oh, "We we know that you're chosen because when we preached the gospel to you, you believed it. You responded, and, and yeah. that's evidence that God set His love on you. Yeah. Um, and and so it, there's no use kind of spending or wasting any time at all trying to speculate." who's chosen, hmm. who's not. Those Good. things are not for us to know. The secret things belong to God. He He doesn't see fit and right. we can understand why. <laughs> not helpful for us to know those things. It's yeah. just our role to first believe the gospel personally. And if you're trusting in Christ, then you can know I'm chosen. He yeah. set his love on me. This is true for me because I am in Christ. And then to hold out that gospel to others and to urge others Repent and believe and trust in Christ and call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved without any kind of fearful like, well, what if they call on the name of the Lord and he says you're not on the list? Mm. That is not at all. Nowhere in scripture are we told to think that way or to make that kind of decision before we offer the the gospel to anybody. We're we're just supposed to hold the gospel out there and call all men everywhere to repent. And some are going to disobey. That is a command. God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. Some will continue to disobey. Some are going to hear the gospel and respond, and and that is the evidence of God's yeah. election and grace. And I think it's
1: it's important to remind a reminder of that that second paragraph. <clears throat> it's we can often get in this world of like thinking, all right, thinking in like teams, mm. or as the Bible talks about, as citizens yeah. of citizens of one kingdom and citizens of the other, and mm. and God's just moving pieces. Yeah, we we cannot. While, yes, he is in control and transferring, we've, we've talked about that, Colossians talks about transferring us into different kingdoms, there is a means by which that takes place. Mm. And we cannot detach that of the goal of election with the means to that goal, which is the, the, the person and work of Jesus. The gospel is that thing. Right. We cannot, there is no way to get to the Father except through Christ and him crucified. So... Jesus is in this is in the center of it all. He is the accomplisher, the one who's right. making this happen, mm-hmm. and, and that rightly gets the focus off of me mm-hmm. and puts it all on Jesus mm-hmm. and puts it all on His salvific work. He does mm-hmm. all of it. And when we talk about the, we want to highlight that. We want to yeah. highlight Christ and Him crucified. And often, what happens in the the discussion of you know limited or unlimited atonement. Um, We like you said before. We're not universalists. All Orthodox Christians limit the atonement in some way. It it doesn't go out to all people. You're either going to limit the number of people who are atoned for, or you're going to limit the efficaciousness of the of the atonement of Christ. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that are going to either. We got to break that down. (laughs) Okay, so you're either so we are. This statement is positing that there is a traditional limited atonement. Mm -hmm. There is a.
0: Particular redemption, I think, is a helpful phrase. Yes, there is
1: a particular number. That's what was meant by there is a fixed number for whom Christ's death is efficacious for. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that actually is bringing people from death to life. All the way to salvation. And that's limited because not all people are saved, as as we see from Everybody agrees on that. Orthodox. Exactly. So that's what we're positing... Uh, another side more of a quote arminian side would say well no the uh, the death of jesus is available for all this would be uh provenient jesus grace. for everybody jesus's grace goes out to everybody but it's not effect efficacious in every sense people are able to turn it away yeah um and we for a lot of reasons both scripturally but also just thinking you have to, we don't want to downplay yeah. the efficaciousness of jesus's death he will get who he goes out to get his yeah. word will not return void to him his work will not be void nobody this is that irresistible grace if you're following along mm-hmm. with the Tulip the irresistible his grace will accomplish that which he has purposed yeah. uh, Isaiah was at 46 of I have determined I will do it mm. I am the one who brings about my purposes and so in in that discussion we don't want to downplay or limit the effect of God's grace in Christ right. Jesus, and I think it's just really important. It's it's easy to get into this numbers game of who's who and who's where. We got to remember Christ died for mm. the ungodly, mm. and, and I was a chief sinner yep. of that. Yep. Um, and it just helps us to to think on and rejoice in and to celebrate the death of Jesus. That then leads to this this last sentence that yes, where this whole thing is attended with mystery, mm. right? I remember. I think I've said this before. I remember when Jeff in our pneumatology class just said to us, "Brothers, we serve a mysterious God. Mm. <laughs> mystery is a category. If He is who we He have to says, be comfortable he, with that. If He is who He says He is, we are not going to understand every little thing. And, and this would be one of them. So, although attended with mystery, the doctrine of election should not produce, as you were saying earlier, Ryan, speculation, introspection, apathy, or pride. The, those are the the fruit that should not be produced. Yeah. But rather, humility, gratitude, assurance, evangelistic passion, recognizing that God is doing what he said he was going to do and we are called to go and preach the, the gospel to all yeah. nations. How, how will they know unless somebody says something, unless mm. somebody goes? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? Yeah. So we are called to go and sow seed everywhere we go and then God gives the growth as that's he right. sees fit and the eternal praise for the undeserved grace of
0: God mm. in Christ. A, a great book, because uh, that evangelistic passion, that's another concern that mm. many people have. D- doesn't a doctrine like election, predestination, leave us with no evangelistic passion? Because why bother preaching? Why bother telling anybody if God already knows who he's going to save? Um a great book to read is J.I. Packer's "Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God," and he tackles all those questions. And if you it's don't want to read the whole thing, just read the first chapter. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's wonderful, um, and and he makes a, a compelling case that no, actually, this should increase our evangelistic passion and confidence because we realize one, like you just said, God's not only has God predestined, but He has also planned the means by which people are going to be saved. And what we see in scripture is the way God saves people is through the preaching of the gospel through evangelism. And Mm so, um, you know, it's like looking at the trees and the grass and say, is saying God makes the grass grow. Well, yes. And the means God uses is rain and sunshine. Yes. God uses our witness in the world to save those whom he has predestined. And when we go out evangelistically, we're not just going out kind of with a wishful, hopefully maybe somebody might perchance believe we go out in confidence knowing um, God has elected sinners Mm. to save. And as we go out in the obedience of faith and share the gospel, God is going to save his people. He's going to do it. Jesus died to accomplish it. So like you were talking about um, limited atonement, that can give the wrong impression that we're limiting the the atoning work of Jesus when actually we're trying to maximize and say, he didn't just make salvation a possibility. He, died and his blood guarantees it as a reality yes. for his people. Yeah. He absolutely accomplishes all of it. So mm-hmm. sometimes you hear people say things like, um, well, you know, if, if, if Jesus, if you were the only one who believed, that would have been worth it to him. As though Jesus died hoping, hopefully at least one, maybe yeah. two. Hopefully a few people believe this, um, which, which is just not what we see in Scripture. J- right. Jesus did, n- did not die Hoping a couple people might believe he died to guarantee that his people would be saved right. and saved completely, brought all the way to faith in him, and so that that really maximizes the the atoning work of of Christ. Excellent,
1: oh, man! What a there's a lot more deeper waters we could
0: dive into. You, Let me throw one more thought. Just that conclusion. Conclusion. That last sentence about the effect this should have. It should not produce pride, the statement of faith says, but rather humility. Mm. It, it is a tragic irony that the doctrines of grace have produced a lot of pride in a lot of people. Yeah. There are Calvinists who get a reputation for being proud, arrogant, crabby, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it, it, there's just no room for that. Right. Nobody should, you know, coming into this conviction, nobody should walk around feeling a sense of superiority, like I believe this and other people don't and I'm right and they're wrong. And it it just, it should make us humble. I mean, it is the doctrine of God's completely undeserved grace. And so it would be totally inconsistent to hold that conviction in a proud and arrogant way. Yes. Because that would undermine the very doctrine itself, which is there is nothing about you that makes you (laughs) stand out as more deserving of God's favor than anyone else. It is just his grace and his mercy in Christ. And so it, it really should make us incredibly humble yes. and gracious toward others. And may that be the effect in our church
1: and amongst ourselves and in, in our missional communities and in our yeah. discipleship huddles and in, at Emmaus Road Church. May we be a joyful, humble, uh, filled with evangelistic passion, mm-hmm. but relying solely on the grace of God and all that we do. That's right. And we thank God in Christ that he has seen fit to save us. And we marvel at it every day and we celebrate it every week. And, uh, and it's something that we look forward to do again this Sunday and the next Sunday and on and on. So if you have, que- I want to reiterate, if you have questions about any of this stuff, I just said this last time, if you have mm. any questions regarding these doctrines of grace, if these are new to you or mm. still confuse you or whatever, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us uh, as pastors. This is our job. We we are available to you all the time. Um, so please please don't hesitate to, to contact us and we'd love to buy you coffee and just talk yeah. through some of this stuff.
0: I think we've got copies of Sam Storm's book chosen for life, mm. um, at our book table as well. Which yeah. would be a great resource for anybody who wants to dive into this more yes. deeply. Excellent. So till next time.